about insurance for later. Jesus wants to give you the abundant life right now. See, I always say that what Jesus offers to a person is not only heaven when they die, but heaven on earth while they live. Not that everything's going to be peachy keen and everything's going to work perfectly, but you get the ability and the opportunity to walk with God right now, which is the one reality that will make this life truly fulfilling. Your salvation is more than fire insurance. It's an invitation into an abundant and incredible life. Today, Pastor Daniel will share with you how surrendering to Jesus opens the door to a new way of living, a better way, in fact, Jesus knows who you are and what you need to survive. But he also sees the potential you have and the things that bring you joy. Jesus wants to bless you, give you hope, and help you flourish in his kingdom. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Romans chapter 10 as he continues his message, Salvation Explained. I remember when I started serving at a church many, many, many years ago, I was like your classic, like all guns blazing kind of a guy. I'm a shoot, aim, ready kind of a person, right? You you realize you're supposed to do ready, aim, shoot. I'm like a shooting first and then I'm aiming and then I get ready after it's over. Like that's my personality. And so sure enough, I get to the church and I'm like ready. We're going to do everything. And I remember the one time my pastor grabbed me and said, so Daniel, what are you doing right now? Man, we're serving Jesus. He's like, No, I'm not really sure that you are right now. The zeal was beautiful, but it was misplaced because it wasn't coupled with knowledge. And so somebody can have very strong zeal. You can have a lot of great intentions and great ideas, but it actually needs to be coupled with knowledge. And for the Jewish people, the problem was is that they were ignorant of God's righteousness and what they were trying to do was establish their own righteousness not having submitted to the righteousness of God. See, the problem for the Jewish people, which is still very much a problem today, is that people don't want to be shared righteousness from God. They want to do their own thing. I call this a self-salvation plan. Our culture lives with this right now. I mean, if you don't believe me, just watch what's going on in the news right now. What we're trying to do as a culture is we're trying to retroactively woke our society. Like we realize now that a bunch of things that people did 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 40 years ago was wrong. And so because it was wrong, now people who were living back there, now they're trying to retroactively apologize for all the things they did was wrong that they didn't realize was was wrong. So what they're saying is because I used to be like this kind of a person, but now I'm here, right? Now I need to make atonement. I need to go on the circuit on the news program and apologize for everything that I've done because I didn't really realize what I was doing. See, that's a self-salvation plan. It's in the same way when uh, all these baseball players were busted for steroids. The ones who came out and said, yes, I did it. I'm super sorry. They were forgiven. The ones who wouldn't own it, they're still persona non grata. Our culture lives on a self-salvation plan. That I don't get saved by what God does for me. I get saved by what I do and how I make atonement for the mistakes that I've made. Like if you have a drug and alcohol background like I do. 
For a while until you come to Christ, you say, really what I'm saved by being clean and sober for X number of days. The sobriety is a good thing, but guess what? You being sober now does not atone for your lack of sobriety in the past. It's just that you've made a good positive change. See, you have to ask yourself, is your goal in life to live a life that's better than what you're used to, hoping that that makes you right with God, or are you receiving the free gift of salvation that comes from Jesus. See, the problem for the Jewish people is they refused to receive God's gift of salvation because they wanted to do it themselves. And listen, I remember when I was coming to Jesus, this was my problem because I grew up in a family. It's like, man, you want something? You got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and get it done. Now, in a lot of ways, that way of living was really good because I don't expect people to do things for me. I'm not like, like the whole world exists to roll over, give me a smile and a Twinkie. You know, it's like, it's like, that's not why everybody exists. So it's like, I have to do a lot of stuff. But what I had to realize was that salvation is nothing that I do. It's something that God has done for me in Christ. And that's why as a church family, this house has always been built on the message of the finished work of Jesus. Because the only way to be saved is to trust in Jesus or else you're running into exactly what the children of Israel ran into. Trying to be righteous by what you do as opposed to what God has done for you. And when you seek to save yourself on whatever self-salvation plan you decide you think you want to be on, that makes you an enemy of what God has done. Because you're really what you're saying is it's not what God has done for me, it's what I do. And listen, and if you're here today and you're hearing this, and I realize we always say here at the Crossroads family that people are in every different step of their faith journey. There are people here who have been walking with Jesus for decades and decades, and there's those of you who are here, the reason you're here today is because you get brunch with mom after it. You know what I mean? Like, I get that, you know? And there's some of you like, well, that's fine, you know, Fusco. You, you can believe that, but I don't believe that. Listen, here's what I want to tell you. When you are exhausted on your own self-salvation plan, when you finally hit the point when you say, you know what, I've tried everything, I can't get there. I can't live up to my own standards. I'm tired. The people who I'm emulating my life against, I'm seeing their failures, and you're finally just like, man, who can do this for me? Then you need to realize you need to come to Jesus. I would love for that to be today. But at some point, you're going to be tired of trying to save yourself because that is a hamster wheel that never ends. Because you'll never get it done. And many of us can tell you stories of trying to do that kind of stuff. But when you get to the end of you trying to save yourself, you have to realize that God has sent Jesus on a rescue mission to save you. And if you don't believe me, look at what it says, verse four. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Wow. He's saying all attempts at our behavior, saving ourselves Christ is the end of the law. And what's amazing is really in this verse here, that idea, the end, it's in the Greek word, it's the word telos, which stands in the first position in the Greek language. It means it has the emphasis that Christ is the design termination or end, the purpose goal of the law. Every attempt to do the right things to save yourself, Jesus is the finish line of that. And God doesn't want you to live your life on the hamster wheel hoping you've done enough to save yourself. When Jesus was on the cross, he said three simple words in the English, one word in the Greek, and that word is, it is what? Finish. Tetelestai in the Greek language. Jesus is the end. All must be saved by even the children of Israel. Now going on, 
The Apostle Paul begins to quote scriptures to back up his case from the law of Moses. Look what it says, verse 5. It says, for Moses writes about the righteousness which is in the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. And so what the apostle Paul does is he begins to put scriptures together to teach us one simple thing. That the scriptures tell the truth. The scriptures tell the truth. See, what the Apostle Paul is doing in this entire section, Romans 9, 10, and 11, is he keeps bringing up scriptures from the past. Scriptures from the law. The things that the Jewish people believed already. And what he keeps saying to them is, you know what the problem is? You're reading your Bibles, but you're not reading it the right way. Now, I'll be honest with you, because I realized that for many of us, and when I was coming to know Jesus, my biggest hang-up was the way that the Bible had been used for all sorts of evil things for as long as people understood what was in the Bible. The Bible has been used to, as I always say, to prove and disprove everything good and evil as long as people have known it. People have used the Bible as a way to oppress people, a way to oppress women, a way to subjugate people, a way to brutalize people. A way to get over on people in all these different ways. And I remember when I was coming to Jesus, I'm like, so what do we do with the scriptures? And then what I realized is that you can quote the scriptures right and get the entire heart of God wrong. Because as I've always said, you guys have heard me say this a million times. When you take a text out of its context, what do you have left? A con. You like that? Context. Right? You take the text out of it, you have a con left. The same way. Imagine if somebody audio taped every single conversation you have today, all of them, and then rolls out a few sentences that you said. Do you think you're going to sound like you're a very good person? Probably not, right? Because in the midst of a conversation, you pull one sentence out of the middle of that. And you say, look at what kind of person that person is, right? Without any context, any one of us is horrendous. And in the same way, that's how people use the scriptures. So what the apostle Paul is doing is he's saying, look, Even though the Jewish people won't receive the righteousness of God by Jesus, they want to do it on themselves. They're not even reading the law right. Let me bring you back to the law. Let me show you what it says. And so what does he quote? First, he quotes Leviticus chapter 18, verse 5. Now, he quotes that in verse 5 here where it says, The man who does those things shall live by them. Right? And he's saying... And really what the Apostle Paul is focusing on here, because he's also used this same verse in Galatians 3.12 as a proof text. And he's saying, if you want to be righteous by the law, you have to live by them. And the thing is, you have to do all of it. So Paul uses this to say that if you want to be made righteous in your own self-salvation plan, and in this case, the law of Moses, which is God's standard of righteousness, you have to do all of it all the time. And that's the problem. Nobody does the whole law All the time, every moment of life, except for Jesus. And that's why Jesus was a worthy sacrifice. Like, let me give you an example. When Jesus was interpreting the Ten Commandments in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, how many of you heard it say you shall not murder? Right? And everyone, well, you know, it's like you shouldn't kill people. Right? Even though our culture today still hasn't really quite gotten this yet. Right? It's like, but Jesus says, if you hate someone in your heart, it's as if you murdered them. Now, doesn't that change the standard? You're like, look, I, like, I, I never killed anybody. He's like, well, actually, if you hated someone, you have. 
says, how many of you heard it said you should not commit adultery? Now, again, our culture doesn't even realize that that's a bad thing. It's like people are like, look, I do what I want to do. The heart wants what the heart wants. You know, we have whole TV shows that the whole theme of the TV shows is everybody committing adultery. Right. So even though this stuff is as old as Moses, people still don't get it today. But Jesus says, actually, if you lust after someone in your heart, you've committed adultery already in your heart. So when you start realizing it's not only about the action, it's about the heart's motivation behind it. You realize, uh uh-oh, that's the problem with the self-salvation plan. It's like those of you who your self-salvation plan is you're going to eat clean, right? Now, don't get me wrong. Eating clean is not a bad thing. But the thing is, is according to Jesus, when you see that Krispy Kreme and you lust after it, it's as if you've ingested that thing. I don't know anyone who's truly eaten clean in their life, right? Like, I know when I'm trying to, like, do the diet. I'm trying to eat healthy. I'm trying to make sure I'm going to give myself good fuel. I'm not going to put diesel in an unleaded body and all this stuff. But then, sure enough, you, like, roll into somewhere, and someone's got themselves, like, one of those special Eddie things. And you're just like, oh, that looks so good right now. And then you're like, what am I, how long am I eating clean for? I got three more days. And you start planning all the junk you're going to eat after it's over. Yeah. That's called lust. That's called, you ain't eating clean at all. For those of you who know sobriety, that's called being a dry drunk. You're not drinking, but you're kind of wanting to, you know? See, I bring all this stuff up because the problem with the self-salvation plan is nobody can keep the self-salvation plan in its totality, not only in action, but also in motivation behind it. But then he goes on, and then he quotes another set of scripture, and he's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 30, Verses 12 to 14. And really what he's doing here is he, he's trying to show the, the church in Rome the fact that in one sense, the problem with trying to do your own righteousness is that if you're going to do it, you got to live by it and you have to live all the way and nobody can do that except for Jesus. But now he wants to show that the scriptures actually teach that righteousness by faith is already there. And he quotes this text. And what's interesting, he quotes the text and then the apostle Paul starts inserting there's parentheses in the verses. So Paul's commenting as he goes, which is why all of us preachers do this this way. We quote a text and then we comment on it. He says this, uh, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. And then Paul says that is to bring Christ up from the dead, right? Or, um, or to bring Christ down from above. And who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But it says that the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. And really what he's doing is, see, these verses were spoken by Moses to the children of Israel right before they went into the promised land. And really what the Moses is telling the children of Israel is, listen, you already have what you need. You've already received the law. So you don't have to go on up to heaven and get it and bring it down. It's already here. You don't have to go down into the abyss and bring it back up again. It's already here. What you need to do is you need to lovingly obey the text. That's what he's saying. The word is near you. It's in your mouth and it's in your heart. And really what Paul is saying is that in the same way, you don't need to go back up because Jesus has already been incarnated. He's already come. You don't need to go down into the abyss because Jesus has already been resurrected from the grave. The work of Jesus is finished. So the work has been done. Now your job is to just trust that. And so the scriptures turn out, as always is the case, to be true. They're right. The stuff is solid. And then the apostle Paul says this. Look what it says in verse 9, Romans 10. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Listen, if everybody needs to be saved, how is a person saved? How do we become saved? Simply, you need to confess and believe. You need to confess and believe. These two steps. And when that happens, a person, no matter what their background is, no matter how unique the plot twist of their life has been, no matter how many things have gone on, no matter what your background is, if you confess and believe, you will be saved. Now, what's interesting about this is most people would say, why did he say confess first and believe second? Isn't it backwards? And the answer is, is it's totally backwards. But why is confession first and belief second here in verse 9? Simply because if you look at the proof text of verse 8, in your mouth and in your heart, and the Apostle Paul's a good writer. So the speech precedes what's in the heart So the Apostle Paul in verse 9 says, if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart, you will be saved. And then in verse 10, notice he flips it around. He talks about belief first and confession second. Now, why is this important? Here's the deal. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. In order for a first person to truly be saved, they have to believe in their heart. And once you believe, then you begin to speak it out. Right? So like here at Crossroads, We unabashedly invite people to put their faith and trust Jesus in Jesus here every single time we gather together. Now, I realize for some of you, you've been around the church long enough that you think, man, this is boring. It ain't boring. You're just so used to seeing people give their life to Jesus that you've forgotten how beautiful it is. You're like a a delivery nurse who's seen so many babies be born that you forget what a miracle that is. But you know that it's a miraculous thing. But the only way somebody can raise their hand and come on forward is because they've already believed in their heart. And once you believe in your heart, then you begin to speak about it. In the same way, if somebody tells you about a great restaurant, right? Do you tell anybody about that restaurant before you eat there? You might be like, hey, I heard about this restaurant. Who knows, right? But once you eat there, right? Then all of a sudden you tell everybody about it. Right? It's amazing the things that people tell people about because they've experienced it. They see the value of it. They see the benefit it brings. And in the same way, the only way that someone can confess that Jesus is Lord is because they first believed in their heart. We all live from our heart outward. Whatever it is that you believe, that is what you speak about. You know, there's a, a big movement that you got to speak your truth. I always say people do that already. That's the problem. The problem is that no, no one has a problem saying what they think about anything. And for the follower of Jesus, we believe in the Lord and then we confess it outward. Look what it says, verse 9. It says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart, one believes unto righteousness And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Now, it sounds like these are two different things. It's really one thing that happens. Now, the idea of confessing the Lord Jesus. Now, the reason that's such a strange phrase is because, do you anybody call anybody Lord in this day and age? Unless you call Jesus. I always joke, in the Bible it says that Sarah called her husband Abram Lord. So I always say, 
to Lynn, I'm like, are you going to call me Lord today? And she's like, no. And I'm like, I don't blame you. You know, <laughs> like, I, like I, I respect it. I wouldn't call me Lord either. But the idea is of Lord is somebody who you're underneath, you're, you're subjugated to. And nobody uses this language today. Right? So the idea, your ability to even say, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the person who I bow the knee of my allegiance to. Jesus is the person who I don't let into my life, but Jesus is the person I give my life to because he can do a better job with it than I can. The ability to confess that happens because in your heart, you already believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Now listen, I realize that for some of you, you're like, man, Fusco, you're preaching in the choir, and I know like, you're a pastor, you're going to get excited about this, but I believe that. I want to talk for a second for those of you who might not believe that. Here's why I think it is so important for a person to put their faith and trust in Jesus. Because trusting in Jesus is not only fire insurance for the hereafter. But like when you take your last breath, you're like, man, if I don't believe in Jesus, I'm going to go to hell, and I heard that's a pretty nasty place, and every once in a while someone says, well, if my friends are there, that's where I want to be too, and that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. It's funny, growing up, you know, my dad, I love him so much, you know, grew up in Brooklyn. And so growing up, my dad would always say to me, well, if your friends go and drunk, jump off the Brooklyn Bridge, don't do it too, that's stupid, right? And I'm like, that's good counsel, you know what I mean? So if your friends are doing dumb stuff, don't do it. Great counsel from my dad. And I remember I was talking to my dad about Jesus later, and, I, and he said, well, listen, I just want to be wherever my friends are. And I said, dad, you know, remember we were growing up? He's like, yeah, I remember. What'd you tell me about the Brooklyn Bridge? And he said, I always told you, if your friends go jump off the Brooklyn Bridge, don't do it. I'm like, well, yeah, your Brooklyn Bridge, Pop, right there. He kind of looked at me. I'm like, look, if all your friends are going to hell, that's the last place you want to be. I'm, just, I'm taking your advice. Now, you need to take your own advice, too. And he's like, I changed your diapers. I don't want to talk to you anymore. <laughs> so that's how that went. You pray for him. I love him, you know. God's doing the work there. But, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus today... Yes, if you were to die right now, you would go and be in heaven with God. But it's not only about insurance for later. Jesus wants to give you the abundant life right now. See, I always say that what Jesus offers to a person is not only heaven when they die, but heaven on earth while they live. Not that everything's going to be peachy keen and everything's going to work perfectly, but you get the ability and the opportunity to walk with God right now, which is the one reality that will make this life truly fulfilling. Because we live in a day and age where people have access to everything, but nothing is fulfilling. Why? Because if you're not content with the life that God has given you in God's presence now, no matter how much money you have, no matter how much attainment you have, no matter if you reach all of your goals, you will never be truly satisfied. Jesus is real. Salvation is more than just insurance against hell. That's a part of it. You get to live with God for eternity in the next life. But today, Pastor Daniel reminded you that living for Jesus covered by grace is a door to an amazing life. God has great plans for you, and you can live out the adventure of a lifetime with Him as your Lord and Savior. You were reminded today, too, though, that you have to take that first step, believing. Hey, everybody, Pastor Daniel here. I just want to say thank you for tuning in. I'm so stoked you're a listener of Jesus' Real Radio, and I know Jesus has amazing plans for you. I'd love to hear the story of how God's working in your life. Give us a call here at Jesus' Real Radio at 360-256-4655 or email me at real 
at danielfusco.com. Thanks for joining us today for Jesus is Real Radio. Hey, I wanted to remind you that each day on Facebook, Pastor Daniel shares a simple two-minute message. In this message, Pastor Daniel draws out an important biblical truth that really helps set your day on the right path. So be sure to follow Pastor Daniel Fusco on Facebook and share these two-minute messages with your friends and family. Place a marker in your Bibles and join us next time as Pastor Daniel wants to give you a mission. God has a plan for his church, the people of his family, but he has a plan for you too. Join Pastor Daniel next time to learn what that is and how you've been uniquely gifted for service in God's kingdom. You get to be on mission every day, joining in the work that Jesus is already doing all around you in this world. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again for the next edition of Jesus is Real Radio.